My guest today is Matthew Tierman. Um, moved here in 2012, father of four, um, an experienced international businessman, background in tech analytics, and a speechwriter for the U.S. Naval Defense, and currently running for city council on Bainbridge Island. Today's podcast is brought to you by That's a Sum Pizza, a Bainbridge Island tradition since 1984. Owned and operated by the Grant family. They are the oldest restaurant on Bainbridge Island. Since day one, they've used a 120-year-old sourdough starter from the Klondike Gold Rush to make a unique sourdough crust that cannot be found anywhere else in the world. Each week, they make over 2,000 pounds of sourdough and shred 500 pounds of cheese. Hungry? Call them now at 206-842-2292 or order online at thatsasum.com. We are also brought to you by Blue Canary Auto. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call 206 451 4220. Lastly, Eagle Harbor Insurance. Tom Sawyer, independent broker and owner of Eagle Harbor Insurance, works for you, not the insurance carrier. It is a one stop shop for all your insurance needs. Portfolio services include home, auto, umbrella, health, life, business, and travel insurance. Located locally on the waterfront at 175 Parfit Way Southeast. Call 206 842-7410 or visit them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. All right. Welcome to Football Friday. It's October 6th. I'm here with Matthew Tierman running for city council. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great, man. Thank you very much for having me on. You a good, uh, good sports fan at all? You know, I'm probably not the sports fan that, uh, that I think... Uh, you know, I probably should be. Grew up in New England, um, so I follow Boston sports quite a bit. But uh, moving out here to uh, Seattle five years ago, you know, you can't help but be, uh, you know, kind of impressed by the level of enthusiasm with the uh, the teams here. It's uh, it's pretty infectious, yeah. So, does Brady have flat balls or not? He he does not have flat balls. <laughs> Big game tonight: U.S. Soccer trying to qualify for the World Cup versus Panama. It's uh, win or go home time. Argentina, with the great Lionel Messi, did not secure a spot in the World Cup last night. Our Seattle Seahawks, do you like Seahawks? I do. I got to support the local team, man. Who's your favorite player? Gosh. You know what? I'm a big fan of Baldwin. I like the small, scrappy receivers that just get out there and, and lay themselves out mid, uh, you know, midfield and, and just take the hits for the team. Got to love them. Hell of a story with him, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm a big Bobby Wags fan and uh, Cam Chancellor. Absolutely. Big hitters, man. Yeah. Seahawks second place, 2-2 two and two in the West. 
Seattle Sounders. You've been to the Sounder game yet? We have. We've been to a couple games. They're exciting. Christina, my wife, she uh, grew up in uh, just south of London. So trying to get her to a game and to uh, to impress her watching American uh, uh, soccer is a hard thing to do. But uh, but we do enjoy the uh, the spirit out there. Yeah, it's a little easier here in Seattle because we have uh, world class fans for sure. And absolutely, you know, set in the tennis records that are right up there with the big teams. Who does she support in Eng- England? What's her team? Chelsea. She's a Chelsea. So fan. is my son. Shout out to Vincenzo. There we Somebody go. else likes Chelsea. <laughs> Um, so Sounders in fourth place, uh, had a good run there for a while, um, just recently lost to, I believe, the Union this last week. Um, real tight race, though. Everybody's within three points towards the top. Um, you were in North Carolina for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to school in, uh, in North Carolina after, uh, after leaving high school, growing up in New Hampshire. So you're definitely a Duke fan. Oh, no. Oh, not at all. No, I'm a, I'm a pirate. I went to East Carolina University, so we uh, we know football, baseball, and uh, and how to have a good party at East Carolina, but um, we don't care for the uh, Blue Devils or the uh, or the NC State. Did you hear the news about uh, Rick Pitino, um, the Louisville coach? He apparently had 98 percent of the shoe contract that the school had earned in his deal with Adidas, 1.5 million a, a year. And the feds just busted the shoe companies and some institutions. People got fired, stepping down, ADs and such. But apparently there's a contract on the table for $160 million that was about to be signed. And I think that was the tipping point for Slick Rick. Unreal. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Weinstein and some of these guys that are, you know, ending up their life. OJ, you know, hey, spend your uh, retirement in in jail. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, the Weinstein thing is uh, is really interesting reading that in the Times this morning. I mean, this has been going on for nearly, you know, 30 plus years. And, um, you know, I, I think it's you know, just, it's a sad state of affair, I think, with the, uh, you know, what we're seeing and kind of our, our national politics and national culture right now. And it's, uh, you know, something's got to give at some point, Tim. Yeah, the I read an article about the CIA said the North Korean leader, uh, Kim Jong-un, is not a madman. Oh. I believe they um, found that out when he ca- came out and called uh, Trump a dotard. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right, um, but old, weak, and senile is basically what he said. So apparently our uh, central intelligence has said that uh, he's not not so crazy. He's got us pegged. There you go. There you go. He's on to something, unfortunately. It's crazy times about North Korea. It is. It is. It's, um, you know, it was telling today, you know, the... Uh, the International Committee to Ban Nuclear Weapons was awarded the um, uh, Nobel Peace Prize, which the first time they've ever been awarded the prize. And I think it says a lot just given the kind of the current, you know, threat midnight situation that we're in with North Korea right now. And, you know, I, I think the the balance of power on the Korean Peninsula has always been, you know, it's been maintained purely out of rational acting by U.S. leadership, the U.N., and to an extent, South and North Korea. And, you know, when you have Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump on either side of the, uh, the coin, it's, a, it's, an awful, it's an awful situation that we're in, especially being here on the U.S. West Coast and, you know, with our, you know, lots of service members from the uh, Puget Sound region deployed over in the Korean Peninsula. It's, you know, it's a tenuous time. Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of natural disasters, North Korea on the radar. Um, did you hear about Tesla trying to help 
Puerto Rico with the new uh, energy grid? I did. I did. You know, I, I love the fact that uh, that Elon is going direct to the governor of Puerto Rico and uh, just kind of bypassing the uh, the federal mess. You know, that is um, you know our U.S. response to uh, uh, to the Puerto Rican disaster. So, I mean, I I I personally think over the next four years you're going to see a lot of uh, tech entrepreneurs and industrialists doing more of the private to local, state, territorial outreach and, and bypassing the federal government for that exact reason. Yeah, there's like less than 5% power out there. Um, people pay upwards of $250 a month for their power. Yeah. Um, it's just a huge fail right now, and uh, things have to change. And people that are actively pursuing different chains of thought, you know, perhaps there's an answer there for sure. Absolutely. I, I think now, you know, after the election last uh, last November, I think a lot of a lot of folks, and you know, I'm sure you're, you know, you're doing this podcast serving a community need. Um, I think everyone's trying to step up in their own way. Which, you know, what it doesn't have to be, you know, big, grandiose, national, international ideas. I mean, I, it, you know, it sounds hokey, but I think you know, small community related steps, small community related steps are uh, are incredibly important. So, you know, I, I applaud anyone that does that. Yeah, shop local, huh? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, it's a small net that starts out first that you go local, regional, then global. Absolutely. And, and get that pattern going. Um, tell tell the people a little bit about yourself and um, who you think you are and who you who you know you are. There you go. There you go. Well, look, I, I, you know, I've uh, as you mentioned in the uh, in the intro, got a bit of an eclectic background. Um, you know, I for sure. Yeah, you know, grew up in New Hampshire. Um, you know, mom and dad. Uh, in myself, just the uh, the three of us, you know, kind of had a, a typical uh, kind of middle class New Hampshire uh, upbringing. Uh, spent a lot of time on the uh, on the shore and hiking in the White Mountains. Um, you know, close knit small family based out of uh, Boston primarily. Um, you know, nothing real spectacular, education or uh, you know academic, and um, uh, you know sports wise in high school was a baseball player through my freshman year. Uh, loved tennis and. Um, I knew my senior year of high school, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to, I didn't want to stay in New Hampshire, New England. So I looked at schools in the South and chose East Carolina, you know, primarily because it was a complete departure and polar opposite from where I grew up. It was, uh, it was rural. Uh, it was, uh, diverse. I mean, a, a large African American population growing up in a predominantly Caucasian state like New Hampshire, it was, it was a nice change. Um, so went there for four years, got really active in uh, a local fraternity, um, active in environmental and grassroots politics, um, in particular around environmental justice. Uh, Eastern North Carolina is known for its you know, multi-billion dollar hog farming industry. And um, while it's, uh, it supports the regional economy, the, you know, the environmental uh, devastation of these essentially hog waste pits has, uh, you know, has left a lot of communities decimated, especially after the uh, hurricane in 99. So was actively involved in trying to push regulations and, and law in North Carolina to uh, change how that waste is stored. Um, so that, that really gave me a sense of, um, you know, civic involvement. And that carried on into, uh, you know, after college, um, you know, working for an environmental advocacy group out of uh, graduate school in Washington, D.C., um, lobbying Congress for uh, Superfund um, uh, budget. Um, worked in 2004 in the uh, during the Kerry campaign, 
Colorado to pass a renewable energy uh, renewable energy law that ended up passing during that uh, during that campaign season. Um, but you know, I after that, I, I used my uh, started to uh, utilize my graduate degree and uh, got involved working with the uh, the Pentagon and the DoD, and uh, ended up writing some speeches for a uh, four star general in uh, in DC, and uh, you know just kind of got on with his staff and. Next thing I knew, he was deployed to Iraq, and I followed with him for uh, for six months, writing in uh, writing in Baghdad and throughout the Middle East. And it was uh, it was a great experience. You know, I've always enjoyed international travel. Um, Christina, yeah, but that's war. <laughs> it, it is war. You know, it, it is war. Um, but you know, I I think looking back now at you know thirty seven, I uh, I think I regret not going into you know some sort of uh, military service. I you know after serving around you know as a civilian with the uh, military for years. I've just got the utmost respect uh, for them, so I, I feel like, in in some small modicum of way, I've I've done, you know, I've done my, you know, I've been able to contribute in some maybe shallow, meaningful uh, way. But uh, I've always loved international culture. Spent a lot of time abroad. My wife Christine is from England, um, so we've uh, we've traveled extensively. Spent some time in China, right? I did. I did after um, uh, after I uh, graduated from East Carolina. I spent about a year and a half in uh, in China. Uh, teaching English and uh, set up a small um, consulting business there that actually exists today. A buddy of mine stayed on, and um, you know he was doing all sorts of training and uh, teaching programs throughout the entire country for you know the last fourteen years. Uh, but that was great. I mean, I you know I I taught for a few days and would go and travel around China, travel around Southeast Asia. It was a, an amazing experience. Tell me a little bit about the the food culture. I'm I'm a bit of a foodie myself. Man, I'll tell you if I could. Uh, I think if I could go back to one place in the world and just gorge myself for a week, <laughs> it would be uh, Dalian in China. It's a, uh, a little town in uh, in Yunnan province, and uh, they just have the most amazing cross section of, uh, of Chinese and Southeast Asian food. Um, but you know, really, Tim, any any sort of Asian cuisine to me is 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 ace. I'll, I'll take it. Um, a couple of years ago, I spent some time doing a few projects in uh, Myanmar with a, uh, uh, with a buddy of mine who, uh, who hired me on to help him with some investment there. And, you know, I, I got to explore that country and, and their unique food culture, which is, you know, if you're a foodie, it's a, it's a mix between Bangladeshi, Thai, and Vietnamese all kind of put into one. It's awesome. Cheat the little, uh, duck fetus in the egg that's fermented or thousand year egg in China. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I ain't doing that. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think I'd go back and have that again. <laughs> so, do they call it Chinese food in China, or do they, do they just call it food? They just call it food, <laughs> but because you know, because they have so many different provinces, there's so many different varieties and in, uh, in cuisines, you you just can't go wrong, you know. And, and that's that's one of the things that I I love about, um, you know, I've loved about my experience and and having uh, worked abroad is, you know, being able to try so many different cuisines and, and live in so many different cultures in Africa, Asia, in the Middle East. It's been, it's been tremendous. I've been really fortunate in that respect. Yeah. Food and travel are right up there on my priority list. Um, things that I really enjoy. Although I don't eat too much meat now. Um, I think the best meal I ever had was in New Zealand. They had reindeer pizza with rocket and cranberry and brie. And rocket's what we call arugula. That's right. And uh, that was just delicious. And reindeer is like a triple hitter over there where they live for a certain amount of time. Their antlers fall off every year. And then they sell that uh, ground-up antler as uh, menis- 
what do you call it? Uh, like a medicinal. Yeah, yeah. The Chinese Viagra. Oh, you know, okay. Something okay. like that. So yeah. you get these huge racks that just shed every year. <laughs> um, they environmentally clean certain areas. And then at the end of their life, that's when they use the reindeer for meat. Wow. And it's super tender. Never thought I'd eat a reindeer, let alone a reindeer pizza. Um, but it's absolutely delicious for sure. But that's the great thing about travel, though. I mean, it, it broadens your mind and kind of exposes you to things that, you know, you just wouldn't otherwise see. You know, our our 16-year-old uh, Felix is, you know, kind of at that point now looking at, you know, what do you do after high school, right? So on a trip to New York, we went and looked at some uh, colleges uh, last spring. And, you know, he came back from a, a summer uh, being a counselor at a camp and, you know, started talking about, you know, what if I what if I went to Norway or what if I went to Scandinavia to do college or did a gap year and, you know, I, I think to me. What do you think of that gap year? I think it's awesome. I, I think, think it's, it's a great. I think idea. it's great. I mean, if I look back at, you know, seventeen when I graduated high school, I wasn't ready for college at that point, and my my grades and I think my um, uh, probably my partying probably would uh, you know testify to that. Um, I, I think you know the Australians, Canadians, and the Brits have had um, you know gap years for you know that's been kind of the model for years. My wife, uh, she did that. She went to Australia for uh, six months after high school and uh, was a dive instructor on the Great Barrier Reef. I mean, I, I think we tough uh, job. Yeah, I know, I know, real, real hard, huh? Uh, but I think, I think in America we've got a, a very rigid and uh, instructed system for what we, you know, conceive uh, success to be, and and what the logical progression of a of a kid's, um, uh, you know, of a kid's progression should be. And I, I don't think there there's no prescription for that. So yeah, I tell my I tell my oldest, and I tell all the kids, you know, you you got to find what you love and you're passionate about, and. Going abroad, doing a gap year, that's that's mind-broadening. I think it's important, too, to say that it's it's not definite. Your job does not define you as a person. You are who you are, and that's your, that's your greatest quality. Um, so asking an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old, 17-year-old to, what are you going to be when you grow up? We start that conversation early, you know. Uh, yeah. Be human. Be kind. Um, be who you want to be. That's an awesome point, and you know I, I don't want to belabor it, Tim. But I mean, I think the, you know, we uh, we do a great job, you know, Bainbridge especially, you know, when we you know, kind of roll out the idea of of STEM and all these other um, you know strong academic qualifications. But um, you know, I, I think teaching your teaching your kids to be you know kind, empathetic individuals. Um, you know, again, I, I don't mean to drag it back to national politics, but I think uh, you know a little bit of empathy and uh, you know, and putting yourself in in other shoes is, is probably a <laughs> There are two qualities I look for when I when I hire employees at my company. So, is empathy is is very important, and that's a word that I discovered late in life. I think, and it was always it's always about me, always about me, me myself and I. Um, and at a certain point, that mind shift changed, and I was starting to think: How do other people perceive what I'm saying, what I'm doing? How does that impact my community, my village, my people? around in my neighborhood, I may not give somebody a second thought unless I have empathy. Then I'm constantly thinking of others. And I think it's a, it's a great way to teach kids kindness. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit back to the pig farming. Uh, <laughs> took a bit, but the methane gas, you know, the bovine industry and the pig farming and kind of the bastardization of those animals and how, you know, chickens as well, how we grow them 
so fast, so big, in such small spaces, treat them inhuman, inhumane, and we just continue to get bombarded with Wendy's commercials, the Beef Council, all that stuff. And in the meantime, these commercial farms that are so big are really contributing to the climate change, perhaps more than all the cars on the road combined. Um, we also see the, the wild boar situation that's just running havoc. You, you look in Florida and a few other places where these monster-sized pigs are just terrorizing everything. And they're making shows about it. Um, at what point can we stop that and start being kind to the environment and say that this hog farming, this beef farming, these methane gases, the cancer in a 20-mile radius of these huge farms are killing everybody around it. At what point do we we start changing that mindset? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's like any um, you know cultural uh, habits or mores that are kind of built into a society, right? You know, we are a you know I think you you speak to anyone that comes from outside the U.S. comes from outside the U.S. You know, you um, they have certain you know preconceptions about who we are as a people and our lifestyle. You know, we're we're a car people, right? We like our our big cars. We like our Absolutely. single. We like our single vehicles. We like convenience, fast food. That's absolutely right. Um, and I think with that convenience, and this is what you know, this is what folks don't understand. And you know, I, you seem, you know, when we were speaking before the show. You know, you you and your your wife and your family, you guys have adopted, you know, kind of this you know this healthy lifestyle and way of uh, way of living. And you know, I, I think that's fantastic. And you know, I, I think those of us that have read the Omnivore's Dilemma and have been you know associated with these issues, you know, I think we know that there is a there is a supply chain and logistics tail to the convenience that we all um, that we all crave, right? And when you get your Big Mac or when you uh, you know you pull up to the uh, uh, the gas station and you fill up your uh, your SUV or your large van, uh, there is a logistics tail to that, and that and that trickles down the uh, you know that trickles down the line. You know, I don't don't mean to take it back into the into the campaign, but you know, I think the um, you know the uh, the debate that raged uh, over the past couple of years around here on Bainbridge around do we want to create our own electric utility here on the island? Um, you know, that had a lot to do with do we want to get away from dirty coal supplied by Puget Sound Energy? You know, I for one, I wasn't for that. I I didn't believe that was a, a smart idea to create a uh, municipal electric um, electric utility here on the island. But I'll tell you what, though, what we didn't think of or what we don't look at is kind of the environmental justice component around this, you know, that, that there is a there is a trickle down effect to we've got, you know, a couple thousand employees of the uh, the coal plant in Montana that are going to be directly impacted when that does shut down. But can't, I, <clears throat> can't we retrain these coal workers to work in different clean energy projects and such? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, it'd be awesome if we had a program that we could help facilitate facilitate that transition and just say, hey, we're not doing coal anymore. It's been proven that this, this, or that is, is the way to go. And we'll give you those skills because we want that workforce. Especially, I look at Bainbridge Island and if we privatize the electric company, you know, where, where are we going to get the workers? You know, our workforce here on Bainbridge Island is very small. And then to say we're going to transition from PSE into our own, 
you know, that's, that's going to take a lot. I mean, a lot of resources, a lot of money and a, and a big workforce. Um, what, what other challenges do we have with that? Yeah, I know. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, speaking on the, the macro scale, I mean, I think the, you know, the transition away from, you know, a, a carbon-based economy to a renew, renewable energy economy is something that, you know, I, I certainly want and I think most, you know, the vast majority of folks on Bainbridge want. You know, last year during the, uh, the election, you know, 75% of Bainbridge voters voted for the carbon tax. It didn't pass statewide. But what does that tell you? I mean, there's a, there's a real need for that. So, I think on a, on a macro level, I think we, we want to transition to that renewable energy economy. To do that, though, and, and you hit the nail on the head, Tim, you know, we need to create the economic structure and incentives to to retrain those employees or provide some sort of, um, uh, you know, transition into new careers for employees that work in the coal industry. You know, in Appalachia, um, you know, they have, uh, you know, this regional transformation workforce program going on right now where, you know, in a small town in uh, West Virginia, they're actually training some of the uh, former coal workers in uh, coding and software programming. And it's a small program and has about 20, uh, uh, 20 former coal miners in there now. Um, that's a, a small dent when you compare it to the regional economy, but that's the type of thing we need to be thinking of, and that needs to be, you know, it needs to be driven by the utilities. The utilities are the ones that have profited and benefited off of um, the backs of uh, these coal miners for years. They need to drive that, but you know, we can't ignore it from a, a state level either. Um, when it comes down to what we can do on Bainbridge, you know, to me, uh, where I struggled with the whole island power and municipalization debate is, you know, that would have. And from purely from a city council perspective, that would have meant a a lot of financial uh, hardship and impact here on on our on our island, and that's what I couldn't quite get my head around. Right, the assets were not ours; we'd have to condemn them or seize them. Um, that means we would have to have gone through a long uh, period of litigation, spending our general fund, my tax dollars, yours. Uh, and then if we did win in a in a court of law, um, we would then have to go and purchase those assets with a you know a thirty year um, uh, debt, like a lease bond. agreement. On well, no, we, we would have to yeah a thirty year bond. We we would have gotten debt to fund the uh, the purchase of those assets. And you know I know you're you're savvy and kind of hip to what's going on in the in the broader economy. But I don't know about you. I don't want my kids or your kids to be saddled with a debt service on an industry that is going to be massively uprooted. You mentioned, you know, Elon Musk and what he's doing with uh, with Tesla. You know, our utility and energy industry is going to look massively different in 15 years. And to bankrupt our local economy by attaching ourselves to a 30-year debt makes no sense. What do you think about changing the political scape and getting away from the president and just assigning some of these people like Musk and Zuckerberg? and Cuban and a few of these guys and put five of them in a room and have them run the country as opposed to two-party system. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd go to a, a, a corporatist, uh, um, you know, a corporatist state of uh, affairs here in the U.S. But you he know, seems to get stuff done. I, I think so. You know, I, I think the yeah, I think the the beauty of a corporation is is the brutal efficiency in which they get stuff done. But there is um, there is economic waste and collateral that comes off of that, and you know, it takes the shape of uh, you know areas being left behind and, and some parts of society not benefiting. Um, but you bring up a great point. I mean, we can't, you know, we're not going to change the, um, you know, the progression of, of technology and how it, um, uh, how it's going to permeate and is permeating our lives. And, you know, I, I think even decisions that we make here locally on Bainbridge, um, we need to be thinking what the 
economy is going to look like in the next 15 years. Automation is going to upend industries. It's going to upend trucking. It's going to upend, um, you know, it's going to upend our, it already is upending our, uh, you know, taxi and ride sharing. Uh, we need to think about that when we make local spending decisions as well as statewide and national. Right. Um, automation is exciting to me in a lot of ways. And it's also scary. You know, if the power goes out, automation goes out. I walk up to my bank every single day because I'm trying to stack chips. Um, I have two right now. No, But <laughs> shout out to Wells Fargo. Don't steal. So I go to my bank and I have the app on my phone where I could deposit my check, see all my online banking. It seems to have a different inter interface than the computer, which has a different interface from the ATM, which has a different interface from where I swipe the card in front of the teller. And as much as I enjoy going in and, and shooting, shooting the, you know what, with the tellers and the bankers and stuff and getting my little dog treats, <laughs> lollipops for the kid, I'm doing all the work. I, I don't see that teller position in the future ever. You know, you, you organize all this automation and... The investment person, the notary, the mortgage broker, those guys stay. Um, the teller physically handing out cash to me and watching me push 10 buttons, like the self-checkout in the grocery store, you know, that's all going away. You look at Sears, JCPenney's, these, these huge companies that were stables in American society, just going by the wayside because they can't adapt. You've worked a lot in tech and that field how do you how do you see it shaping up specifically locally yeah and, and and with city council and government here what kind of automation um can can benefit us i know you had this great idea of a citizen porthole where the transparency in government is there for everybody to see i strongly dislike it when they say hey go to this site look it up google it I've changed Google to Einstein and say, just Einstein it. <laughs> um, and I'm searching and searching and searching for this information. And I know medical systems have kind of gone to this porthole. Can you elaborate a little bit more on on the future of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you, and you bring up some, you know, some really, um, I, I think, some uh, key concerns that I think a lot of us see and, you know, business leaders and, and policymakers see right now that, you know, I think the stable... Um, minimum wage type paying jobs um, and above minimum wage paying jobs that have been uh, critical in um, I think to build you know the the US middle class are are going away or the the potential for them to go away you know any, any it's cute that you think there's a middle class well we, and we can talk and we can talk more about that too because I you know I, I think that that hits right back onto affordability which uh, you know is a is definitely a, a major cornerstone of the campaign um, and yeah, what I've spoken about too Absolutely, absolutely. But you know, just just touching on the automation, you're right. I mean, I, I think the uh, service jobs are are going to change uh, dramatically. Well, you uh, don't get service now. They don't train anybody anywhere. Well, that that's right. You that's, know, you you order with your waiter or waitress, and you say, "Hey, I'd like the kale cob salad," and then somebody hour later comes shooting out of the back of the kitchen. Who ordered this? You know, and yeah, simple. It, it is. Here's a here's a chair number. Here's a table number. Here's what they ordered. Why'd you take my order? Just to have somebody else come out and auction off my food, and now I'm confused because some restaurants have uh, mark gratuity at the end of it. That's right. 
minimum wage is $15 an hour. So do I tip? Does tipping mean to ensure prompt service? And I give it at the beginning just to see them fail. Service industry, whether it be retail. Um, I went into T-Mobile to uh, look at a phone or whatever. And they wanted to, oh, my glass broke on the, on the case. And they said, yeah, we can take care of that. Like 120, 140, don't quote me on that. Um, but they would have to mail it out. Mm-hmm. So the people there didn't do the work. And then I was like, how, co- how come it's cheaper at some kiosk in the mall or some other place? And the kid said, get this. Dramatic pause. Wait for it. You get cheap parts from China when you do that in the mall. And I'm like, you know, iPhone's from China, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little company called Foxconn will uh, will handle that for you. Yeah, China. but the yeah. service industry's dead. So automation, getting back to the point, um, it's got to happen in, in in some ways because yeah, and, and it, it is makes happening. it clear. We we know what road to to what lane to stay in, I guess. Yeah, and it is happening, and I don't think you'll ever see you know the service industry die altogether. I, I think what you are what you're highlighting, um, you know, very well, I'd say, is the fact that I think in, you know, developed economies that we see the need for the constant improvement in in process. And and that's really what automation is. Automation is taking that to the next level with machine and deep learning. And, you know, I think conceivably that could make, um, you know, it's going to have, and it is having, you know, just a transformational, you know, uh, impact on uh, on society. And it's only going to become, um, you know, more apparent. I think what the, you know, what's incumbent upon industry, what's incumbent upon um, policymakers is to, and the time is now. The time not to do it is in. It's not. It's not 2020. The time is now to sit down and really figure out how this is going to impact um, our local, regional, state, national, and global economy. And I, it, it, it frightens me a bit that we don't we don't see that conversation happening. We see we see knee jerk reactions. You know, London kicking Uber um, kicking Uber out and uh, and saying that you know we're not going to have it. I get why they're doing it. I mean, Uber is a train wreck, but you, you that type of knee jerk reaction doesn't do uh, doesn't do much for for folks. And you know, just touching upon the um, you know minimum and living wage, those are reactions to you know perturbations in the system, and uh, and it's and and their decisions and their policies and need to be taken and need to be made. And I, I applaud the Seattle uh, and SeaTac uh, City Council for what they've done. Um, you know, we've we've had it come up here in the local campaign a few times. Should we have a Seattle minimum wage here on Bainbridge? You know, I'd, I'd love to blurt out and say absolutely, but again, when I, you know, if I do get elected in uh, in November, um, you know, there are there are serious ramifications to that from you know jobs fleeing off the island to employers not being able to afford to hire, uh, and you know the plain and simple fact too that most of our service workforce does come from off the island too. So um, when I look at that, that has to be more of a county wide um, discussion in my mind. We need to work with other. Uh, municipalities in Kitsap to figure out what that living wage, and it goes beyond minimum wage, as you know, Tim. I mean, it's, this we're talking about the different legs of the stool in terms of transportation, infrastructure, health care, child care, the things that make a uh, for a stable foundation for someone to have a career or a job, whatever that may be. It's not just a $15 minimum wage. You ever heard of the income sharing idea where we all we all get the same amount? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, and I, I think I, I think what you're referring to is the um, it's the uh, the base wage, which uh, I think Switzerland, a few cantons in, uh, in Switzerland, have actually gone with this idea of paying everyone. Um, I think it's you know fifteen thousand yeah, uh, Swiss ba- francs base yeah. annual salary. That's right. Yeah, so we can ease the burden of uh, of living and uh, be more on a, a fair parity and skill uh, skill set. Um, Let's get back to the environment just a little bit. Sure. There's been some sewage leaks. I believe there was one off Bainbridge Island uh, recently, or perhaps a little bit further back. There's been some articles about the pollution, how the salmon are on meth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We have a huge amount of homelessness in Seattle because of the, the ability to get into programs, the climate's right for it. Um, there's plenty of tent camp type places popping up here and there. People are willing to give to that. How does that extra amount of homeless people, these contaminants going in to the waters around us, how is it going to affect us first short term and then long term? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, here on Bainbridge, you know, I, I think uh, we have we've had the uh, the runoff and the spills into uh, into Eagle Harbor. Um, you know, to me, it, it goes back to the the fundamentals and basics of what a local government should do, right? I mean, there there are basic infrastructure and capital facility needs that uh, we I, w- I would say you know charitably we've neglected for too long, and you know the city is doing a better job now of of tightening that up. But that's what happens when I think you've got too many. Um, too many priorities. You know, you, you really need to kind of go back to the base, the base need. And, and you know, you look at we're, you know, we're fortunate. And I would think all of us on Bainbridge, we may agree and disagree on things, but we are fortunate as to where we live. We live in a beautiful place and treating the environment with the respect it deserves. It goes back to the nuts and bolts of local government. And that means ensuring that our, you know, stormwater utility and our, our sewer facilities are, are up to snuff. And that requires long-term capital planning. It's not it's not the sexy stuff. It's not the national headline news-grabbing stuff. But it's it's the things that keep us safe. It allows us to eat the you know the delicious oysters and the seafood around our shores, and allows us to swim in the summer when it gets too darn hot. Um, yeah, and I, I like remember to, a time like when there was a. I like to swim in Blakely Harbor, and I I get bummed when I go down there, and I I can't go swimming. So. Um, that, uh, that's a bummer to me, but, uh, that's my spot. That's my mindful meditation spot in the graffiti building and taking the dogs out there for a run and looking out just peaceful as can be. Not many people head out that way. Absolutely. I just touching on the homeless, Tim, if if you don't mind, I mean, I I think everyone knows, you know, the homeless problem in Seattle and, uh, it's obviously an issue and they're addressing it on their own level. But I, I think what we maybe lack here in our community is, you know, Speaking to Chief Hamner, um, our chief of police, we have more than 30 full-time homeless residents here on the island. And, you know, on an island of 24,000 people, you know, to me, that is, you know, that's that's statistically significant. How do you Uh, quantify how many homeless people there are? Is that on the census? It, it's it's not. I mean, this is this is the this is a wonderful thing about having a um, an em- goes back to empathy an empathetic and caring um, police chief and and uh, and staff that they they do take a great job. they take the time to go out there and, and do this. Um, some of these folks they they are okay in the situation they're in. Um, others like the liveaboards. 
well, not not just the liveaboard. It's just you know behind uh, the Bainbridge Island Museum of Art. There's a, a homeless encampment down in that in that ravine area. You know, I we have we've got a great company here on the island, Black Myth Design. Um, up yeah, by, shout out to Black Myth. Love love those guys, and and they're they're designing these geodesic homes. I'm not sure if you've gone down and see them. They're like the golf ball, yeah, club shops from they're, the '80s. They're fantastic, but they can unpack those. They're inexpensive. They're, they're sealed tight. They're comfortable. They can unpack those in about four to six hours. Um, you know, I would love to see um, Housing Kitsap, Housing Resources Bainbridge, think about how we can – you want to talk about innovation. It doesn't always have to be tech or automation. Thinking innovatively about how we can um, look at transitional housing or even temporary homeless housing here on the island. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. A progressive community like ours should be thinking in, the, in that direction. Absolutely. We always talk at, in our house that – all we really need is food, love, shelter, and water. And those are basic necessities. And we're talking about priorities here. It's got to be a huge priority, right? It, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And I, I think when we're, when you and I are having this conversation, you know, on, you know, since I, I filed back in, uh, in May to run for office, I've, I've knocked on about 750 doors on the island. It doesn't sound like a lot, but let me tell you, man, there's a lot of stretches of this island that is <laughs> – houses are far apart. <laughs> so I, I've done my miles, and, and the, the number one thing that people say to me, whether they have lived here for 40 years or whether they've just bought a house here or renting, is the affordability. And, you know, I think we, we have a veneer of um, – uh, you know, of uh, of affluence and comfortability here, but there are folks that are struggling, and it goes beyond housing affordability. And it goes it goes more toward the day to day of you know of paying bills, of transport, of healthcare, and these are very real, tangible situations we've got on the island. And fortunately, we've got we've got great nonprofits like Housing Resources Bainbridge that can help. Um, when I sat down with their executive director two months ago, in the second quarter of this year, they had 100-plus walk-ins that were in housing crisis. And they define housing crisis as you're going to get evicted if you're a renter or you're going you're, you know, you're to get booted by the bank within 30 days. Again, you know, to me, that is statistically significant. So how, how as a community, a local Bainbridge community, can we start thinking through those um, uh, you know, solutions to these problems? Yeah. What are your thoughts on the grow community? So the grow community to me, um, I think typifies, uh, I have nothing against the grow community, but to me, it typifies what is uh, wrong with our current uh, housing laws on the island. The grow community uh, originally was supposed to be a, uh, have a mix of affordable housing. Uh, but our, the way our current housing design and demonstration program, which is a city ordinance, is set up is you can either, if you're a developer and you have a property, you can either go green or you can go affordable. And since 2010, after we had you know, the awesome Ferncliff Village uh, put in, which is an affordable housing area, we have had no affordable units on Bainbridge. Shout out to the two uh, llamas that were displaced on Ferncliff. <laughs> Sorry, llamas. Uh, but- Look, I, I have nothing against any any development community. I think we've got far too much development that you know that can change if you get a council on board that is willing to um, you know stop reckless development that's not within the character of our island. But we have we have failed, I believe I, we have failed our um, low and uh, missing middle income residents here on the island um, by not providing for affordable housing, and that. 
it's like we said before, that has knock-on impacts to our traffic congestion. It has knock-on impacts to the type of socioeconomic quality of life that we want here on the island. We want a range. We don't want all lawyers and techies and others. I mean, we, we want, you know, we want you know, service employees. We want public uh, uh, service employees. We want craft food folks that work here. We want folks that have bring a diversity of experience and background. I mean, we're sitting in the barn right now, and I think you know the three of us can agree that this is just a this is one of the things that makes our community special. Um, I want artists living in my community, and to do that, we're going to have to have a range of housing of affordable housing options um, that take that into account. Absolutely. Um- Going forward, as I believe it, there's a mandate of about a 10-year period to absorb um, more people, more population within our county. I think in the past there's been uh, a thought process that towards the end of that increment of time that we have to absorb that development, we would build at the end of that. And then when we get the new increment that we would build at the beginning of that – and then construction was kind of going to cease to exist on the island and, and try to get this peaceful place again. Takes me up to two things. It, it's huge in Seattle, the amount of construction and the amount of people that are in the workforce with Amazon and Microsoft. And there's a huge housing crisis in my mind is there's just not enough houses to, to, to give out and dole out to everybody, let alone affordable housing. With construction going on and mixed-use situations, affordable housing, there's a couple projects on the island that I'd like to talk about, and one being the Suzuki property, mm-hmm. and then the other one being the Sound to Olympic Trail and the status of that going forward. First of all, Suzuki property. Yeah, I... Walked my dog for years and years past that. My son went to Ordway. Shout out otters. Go otters. Um, incredible experience. And at, at, late at night when the island goes to sleep at 8.30, that's my favorite time to <laughs> put the kid to bed and go out and breathe the fresh air, no cars on the road. And I'd often go past that property and the yeah. amount of coyotes I would hear and the wildlife. And I've been coming here for a long time. Oysters. The crab, the red tides, all that wildlife, the deer. I used used to see just herds of them. And now I'll see a family of three, you know, maybe once, twice a day, and that's it. What kind of impact is that property going to have on the wildlife? Second, second part of that is where do we stand with it right now? Did we just put a Parks and Rec sign up there and throw down some gravel and, and call it Quagmire, or <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, man, those are those are really good questions. I he, he, just stepping back a bit, you know. So we are, you know, the Growth Management Act put down by Washington State, you know, sets a guideline for what we Bainbridge Island are going to absorb, or they want us to absorb from a population standpoint. And I, and I think one of the, you know, I think one of the differences in the campaign, perhaps between me and my opponent, I mean, there there are ways that we can push back against that. And one of the ways is that, you know, we plan capital facility budgeting um, that uh, that is at a level 
that we feel is appropriate. So if we do that, that can only absorb 3,000 people, you know, from a, uh, a capital facility standpoint, that will limit the other natural tertiary development of housing and what have you. So there's ways to do that. There's also ways that, you know, we can uh, we can stop the, uh, the subdivision development like you see on uh, uh, Grow and Wyatt, you know, again, to keep in the character of our of our island. So I, I think what it needs is a little bit of political will and some folks on council to uh, uh, maybe call BS on some of the, um, uh, I would say, the entrenched ways of the past. And that's one thing I think I can bring. Getting more tactically, though, to, uh, to your two questions. Uh, Suzuki, yeah, I'm a big proponent, as I said before, of affordable housing. Uh, the original plan for Suzuki um, included uh, Boys and Girls Club, um, a park, uh, and affordable housing mix. And the Boys and Girls Club is cut out of the... Out of the new plan it is, yeah. But, you know, like you, man, I, I went over there. Uh, I took my boys out to the property. We've walked it. Um, it's it's a beautiful area. You know, it's a gorgeous area around there. And it's also an area that is, you know, large part of the day, especially when schools are letting in and out. It's It's a traffic nightmare. And a traffic impact study has not been done yet, so we don't know what the true impact of development is going to be on there. Um, but yeah, so last Tuesday, or this pardon me, this past Tuesday, the uh, council did agree to move forward and have Olympic Property Group, which is a developer who they um, uh, who they gave the um, the opportunity to to bring a proposal before the council. They agreed to have it move forward, and. Uh, the and, proposal or what was on the proposal? Right. So they they have to come back. OPG has to come back with a pricing and budget proposal and a uh, and a firmer design on what it would look like. When that land was donated, what was the intent of the people that donated it? Well, you know, I'm not sure it was donated. Um, and I, I'd have to go back and check on that. Yeah. Uh, we don't fact check here on the bystander. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. But originally, though, it was one of the sites for the police station. Um, and then, you know, a, uh, you know, one of the candidates in the race who you'll talk to next week, uh, Risham Nassar, you know, she took a very, very um, active stance in trying to protect that property along with others in the community. And, uh, you know, I, I think after, you know, after I said before, after walking it and really seeing it, I changed my, I changed my mind on it. I wanted to see the council, you know, y- use some discretion, take a step back and, and, and put off any development on this. But, you know, in speaking with some members of the council, it looks like it is going to go forward, you know, if elected. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to be one of those members that really figures out what we what we do with this property. So if it does head down the path of development and there's a couple of options, my preferred option uh, would be to create a community land trust with the property. If we've got to, if we're going to develop it, if we think that this is a long-term affordable housing solution, uh, I want to see 100% affordable housing units on the uh, the three developable developable acres <laughs> on the uh, on the property. Leave the rest um, natural. But if that is if that is the the inertia right now, if that's if that's what's going down. Um, you know, I want to see this. You know, in the spirit of Vashon Island Land Trust or um, or the Lopez Island Land Trust, which in perpetuity would create affordable housing units. I, pardon me, I'm not sure what type of language you can use, but half-assing it, uh, Tim, with 50% affordable housing won't cut it in my mind. Put a quarter where God split you. There he is. You just it. got played, I'll right? Put it in the quarter jar. <laughs> um, with Suzuki there. What kind of impact on the backside on 305, what would that look like? Would there be access off that highway into it? Is it a situation where we should probably put push pause on that email before we tell that person how nasty it is? 
or um, is this something that you see happening right away? And lastly, is this something that's voted on after you, this coming election cycle? Yeah. So I, I just want to make sure that we're talking about the the same thing. So Suzuki is a property off of uh, off of New Brooklyn and uh, in Sportsman Sakai. Which, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what we were speaking about before. You mentioned Sakai, which abuts three hundred five. Sakai is a um, that's a parks property. So uh, it, I have my own opinions on that. They're they're not relevant uh, from a, uh, a policy standpoint, as parks has the uh, they've got the ball on that one. But you know. For what it's worth, man, I, I think the the current design for the the Sakai property is a is a disaster. Um, just for whatever that's worth, but um, Suzuki, you know, just touching on that for a second, it, it's it is going to come down to. Um, I would hope it would come down to the new council in January to really flesh the plan out. I think it would be a uh, a deep mistake for the um, the three outgoing candidates, or I'm sorry, the three outgoing council members to. Uh, try to push this forward um, in the last uh, few months of their uh, of their tenure on uh, on council. There's there's way too many uh, ramifications. There's financing uh, that we need as a city. We need to help housing resources, Bainbridge and Kitsap um, housing find to make this viable. So I I want that to be thought out. I don't want it to be a knee jerk decision. Too many knee jerk decisions happen in the city now, and that needs to stop. Yeah, that that's the toothpick forest behind the bus barn. Um. That's correct. Across from Northtown Woods. That's right. Yep. Just want to clear that up. The bicycle ramp, it seemed like I didn't hear much about it. Then it just went, all I could do was hear it and see these trees getting chopped down and people complaining that, you know, the great thing about 305 is you drive down that road and you see nothing but trees, basically. Absolutely. So it's kind of a, a protection for all the community members and, and such. And now it seems like Sarah Palin just dropped by and that bridge is going to nowhere. <laughs> what, what's the status and how much is that thing going to cost? And is it going to be done in my lifetime? I feel like it's Big Bertha project all over again. Oh, near and dear to my heart, Big Bertha. And then, uh, yeah, let's not talk about your college days here. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's going to have an environmental impact, a traffic impact. Um, I love the idea of getting more cars off the road, whether it be increased bus transit opportunities, bicycles, electric bikes. Um, where we stand right now? Yeah, it's the the Sound Olympic Trail. Uh, I'm, I think in theory, I'm a big fan of uh, of where it's uh, of what it could be. You know a a trail that goes from the Olympic Peninsula out to um, out to the Cascades, out to um, uh, Sammamish, I think is is fantastic in theory. But you're expressing what I feel, and I think what most Islanders feel right now when they look at it is kind of a, you know, again, a kind of a WTF type moment, right? You know, yeah, it's going to change the landscape for sure. Well, it, it, it already, already has. I mean, it already has. I mean, just you know, going up past Vineyard Lane. I mean, this is a this is a massive trail. If you if you've walked it and you've gone and seen it, it is 12 feet wide. And you know, grab a tape measure if you're listening at home, and, and spread out 12 feet on your on your living room floor. That that's a big chunk of real estate, um, and that's and again, when you accept state money, when you work with the state, you have to live by the state's standards, and the state standards require that 12 feet, the two feet buffer on each side, and the eight foot trail. Uh, so the STO is progressing. Uh, apparently, it goes up. It will go up to McDonald's, the uh, right there on High School Road, and then it will jump. 
to the west side of high school and it will wind its way up to the bridge. Here, here's where it gets sticky for me. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what the meandering path will be. We don't I, know. How'd they go ahead with the proposal if there wasn't drawings? Drawings. Oh, see, see, Tim, you're being too logical now. Logic logic is not allowed in, in local government decision making. Um, and you, you, you hit the nail on the head. And, and this is where, again, I think community input, community discussion, not, you know, not patronizing, you know, public meetings, but deep ward level community meetings around what we want this trail to look like um, needed to happen. And it didn't. You know, at a ward meeting in the South, one of the, uh, uh, the local council members expressed uh, surprise at the number of trees that came down. And I'll be honest with you, if 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 that was me, and I, if I if you guys happen to uh, to elect me, and if I ever express surprise on something like that, then you know feel free to ask me to leave office. Um, I, I thought that was absolutely absurd. Um, but again, it, to me, it goes back to priorities, Tim. I, I think everyone could probably get behind a trail on 305 from a a multimodal standpoint. You know, for walkers, um, you know, for cyclists, for those in wheelchairs, wheelchair I, access. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But then we start to we go off the rails by throwing this pedestrian bridge um, over 305, which the city has tried to link to um, to the STO. But the two are completely decoupled. The uh, the pedestrian yeah, bridge- Yeah, we're on an island. <laughs> yeah. The pedestrian bridge has been around since 2003 in various iterations. And, you know, again, this it goes back to priorities. And, and this council has demonstrated over and over, uh, and again, this big point of departure between me and my opponent, he'll, he would continue with the design study. You know, that means it's going to take us up to another $600,000. Um, I, I would terminate it immediately. That is- that is a million dollars of our money if we go through this entire project that we can dedicate toward other um, uh, non-motorized transportation needs. So if if that were to come true, the bridge would finish off at McDonald's and that'd be it. And there'd be no overpass ac- across 305. You'd use the crosswalk. Well, right. Right now, the bridge, uh, if it goes through, which honestly, I, I don't see it happening in, in the grand scheme. I think there's too much public opposition. It would go across Nectal to Vineyard Lane before high school. You know, I, I think you could probably make a decent argument that a, a bridge from uh, across um, uh, high school near uh, near the McDonald's and, and near um, uh, near that corner, that would make more sense than a bridge over uh, 305 at uh, Nectal and Vineyard Lane. Yeah, some arbitrary middle area. Right, a- absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think the the idea behind connecting the east and west side of the island makes sense. But again, there, there has to be deeper logic to that and not just driven by a local grant process. Getting $2 million of a $3 million overall project is great. But again, there's got to be some industrial logic to it. Is there any chance that the project just stops unfinished? The STO, the trail itself? The the current situation here on Bainbridge Island from the ferry terminal as it sets right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a high likelihood that you could just see a trail going up to High School Road from the ferry. Um, I think unless... I mean, you, But a completed trail. A complete, uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It, I, this part, this section is is going to be complete up to up to High School Road. the The city is holding uh, public hearings next week on what happens after that, right? Uh, phase, I think it's phase three and four when it goes to the west side of uh, of three hundred five. Um, I think I, that'd be a boom for the businesses in the Hildebrandt area and Safeway uh, Shopping Center, and an easy way for people to. Uh, connect downtown Winslow to there. And I'd like to see 
safe bike lanes for bicyclists. My wife goes to Seattle Children's every day on a bike and connects with mass transit as well, whether it be us going to the airport in Link Rail or throwing the bus or throwing the bike on the bus to go up the hills because just don't feel like it that day. <laughs> no, I, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely- transport- transportation's huge. Um, I try to walk everywhere I go um, and take public transit. And being on an island, the ferry system's very important. Yep. And I think we're reducing our carbon footprint by bicycling more. There's better opportunities. But I worry for bicyclist safety. I mean, there's been a lot of deaths in Seattle on bikes. Yep. There is a huge amount of tra- traffic and crush from the workforce that's in Seattle. And that's starting to spill out over to the island because people are starting to figure out that it's, it's an easy commute to sit on a ferry, get your laptop out, enjoy the scenery, maybe see an orca, have 35 minutes of you know, food, drink, happy times with people in your community and get to talk to people. So that bike trail to me make, makes good deci- is a good decision in my mind um, crossing that highway in some, in some capacity. I don't know where it's going to go, but we'll see. Yeah, it, just touching on that, you know, I, I, I think – I'm I'm absolutely in support of building out our um, our non motorized infrastructure. And we we have something here on the island called the Core Forty, which has been debated since 2008, and that is. I just saw a Core Forty shirt on a uh, Bob the Bicyclist today at awesome. Starbucks. That's I great. had no idea what that meant, so please. Yeah, and I mean it's it's essentially building out you know our uh, shoulder uh, shoulder lanes, our bike lanes where appropriate, increasing the uh, level of safety and pedestrian awareness on the island. Uh, and instead, right now we've done this piecemeal uh, over the past. Uh, uh, now nearly nine years, um, what the core forty infrastructure ballot would do would you know it would put on the the ballot for the voters to yay or nay um, you know a bond measure that would pay for what you're talking about bike lanes and uh, and non motorized um, uh, you know connections and that that's really what we need the the STO to me is is more of a it's more of a regional um, transportation initiative that could be beneficial the bridge to me is decoupled from all that that's a, a boondoggle um, but uh, good word boondoggle yeah but no the the core forty I think is a is absolutely something that we need to flesh out in the next council all right we'll take a moment to thank our sponsors that's some pizza. Blue Canary Auto and Eagle Harbor Insurance. So, um, Matt, um, when, how often does the public come and have the opportunity to talk to city council? And you're obviously in the know with the city council. How many people show up to those meetings? How do we get words out on, on these projects and continue the transparency and have discussions I mean, going door to door, ringing bells, and uh, trying not to get dismissed as a Jehovah Witness at my door. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on this podcast to talk about stuff like that. But how how can we make it more accessible for everybody to get information about what's going on and how they can help here on the island? Yeah, you, it's such an awesome point. You know, I, every Tuesday, most Tuesdays, the council um, you know holds executive sessions or study sessions, and uh, those are completely open to the public. Um, it really depends when you have a, a big issue like the municipalization debate, or you know, last uh, this past Tuesday, I was at the uh, the council meeting when they were talking about the critical areas ordinance, which you know looks at you know how we're going to develop our land, uh, and then Suzuki came up to. I mean, it was a it was a packed house. Uh, 
there are yeah, good. Yeah, which is great. Uh, you know, and if you can't make it to the meetings, uh, you can go on to the uh, the city website and you can watch them streamed uh, streamed online, which is awesome. And you can watch, you know, you can watch them, you know, going back, I think five or six years, if you're if you're so inclined or you know, feeling feeling really bored one night. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but the option is there, Tim. Right. Uh, so I think that's all good. What what gets me and what I've uh, you know what I've really hit on in the campaign is the um, is taking transparency to you know 2017 uh, or probably not even that you know we're um, I would challenge any voter island resident to go onto our current city website and find anything of um, uh, of value within three clicks. There's a lot of information on there, but it takes uh, it takes a while to find what you need. Um, more specifically. Uh, we do not have the votes of our council members posted online, um, which to me I think is a uh, is a flaw. But do they have the birth certificate and tax return? <laughs> yeah, that I think we probably can find. Uh, but knowing where your council member has voted on a particular issue, I mean, to me that is that's a key tenant of of democracy. And, and one of the things I've pledged, if elected, is every vote I take, every issue I have, you'll find it on the website um, in a very clean and transparent manner. Um, there is no reason why anyone on the island shouldn't know where I voted on a particular issue. We've got a we've got a council member blog. If you go on to uh, the Bainbridge Island website, it's been up there for four years. You want to know how many times it's been updated? Three. Three times it's been updated. Need a PR person. I, you know, I, I think it's – these council members are um, – uh, this is not their full-time job. I get that. Uh, but when you are talking about spending um, tens of millions of, of dollars a year, when you're talking about issuing you know, 30-year uh, debt service, there needs to be some uh, rationale behind votes and decisions. Yeah, don't get on a board if you don't have the time it takes to do a good job. You're you're spot on about that, and I know you've been on many boards, and, and it's a it's a hard thing to uh, uh, to balance. But you know, I think that's why we're all out running for office or doing what we do because uh, we're going to make and dedicate the time. Uh, but with that comes you know the follow on responsibilities to that. Absolutely, you're representing not only your needs and wants and desires. You're representing the people of the city, and I think it's important that when you disclose votes like that. We don't have to agree on everything to, to still know that you can facilitate uh, the means and ways that, is, that are necessary for the island to go forward in a, in a good way. Yeah, you're um, so right. Why don't I ask you a quick couple of questions? I got this little segment called the Fast Five. All right. Um, I'll ask you a quick question. Gotta give me an answer even quicker. Okay. If you had one superpower, Matt, what would it be? Invisibility. Why? Come on. Are you, are you not a Harry Potter fan? Would you not have taken an invisibility cloak? How awesome would that be? Nah, I think I'd go with the reading of the minds. Oh, you'd really want to go there? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I, I would. <laughs> What's your favorite film? Oh, okay. So I've got two. I'm going to cheat on this. Um, Please. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Awesome movie. Amazing film. And then my wife, when she listens to this, is going to roll her eyes. But every year I rewatch Lawrence of Arabia. One of my all-time favorite films. Beautifully shot, great acting. Just, yeah, I'm the only one that can watch it in my family. I've tried to get even my seven-year-old to do it. He won't do it with me. Lawrence Olivier, right? Um, no, 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 uh, not Lawrence Olivier. Uh, it's Lawrence of Arabia. It's um, Peter O'Toole. Peter, Peter O'Toole. Thank there you, you very thank much. You, yeah, thank you. Good save. Um, 
what's jamming on the radio? What song, what artist, who are you listening to right now? Who's got you pumped up? You know, again, I, I can see Christina rolling her eyes. I am I am so lame when it comes to music. You know, before the show, you and I were chatting about uh, podcasts. I'm a I'm a podcast fiend, man. I, I start off my morning at 5 a.m. with the uh, the Daily New York Times, Michael Barbaro, and uh, you know, usually uh, finish up the day with um, uh, the BBC. Um, they do the the next morning, so West Coast time here. It's perfect, uh, and in between, it's everything from you know real crime podcast to. Uh, um, you know, Anna Ferris has a really wicked podcast. That's yeah, a great yeah. guest. Yeah, yeah, unqualified. Yeah, but you know, for you know, with music, I've got four kids, so my music tastes range from One Direction to um, all of us are fans of the Hamilton soundtrack, which you can normally hear us jamming out to in in our SUV or our, our van, rather driving around the island. <laughs> Shout out to the cousins in New York. Vincenzo just came back and got introduced to Hamilton, and. Uh, they were jamming that like crazy. Awesome. Um, he also listens to that mumble rap. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah. I have no idea what they're saying. It's not the good old days. No, no it's not. No Beastie Boys run DMC. It's, oh, man. Heard it on my cell phone. <laughs> the hell is that stuff? It's nonsense. I'm with you. Um, is the earth flat or round? God, I hope it's round. <laughs> What are you going to do when you retire? You know, I don't think I could ever retire. I I, I don't know what I'm going to do to enjoy myself. Um, it's funny. My dad spent uh, 30 plus years as a uh, uh, an executive with uh, digital, compact, uh, Hewlett Packard, kind of the mainstays of the technology industry. And uh, I always looked at him as, you know, just a great father, the best guy in the world. But he was very, very corporate. He was a business guy. He retired in 2002, and all of a sudden, and he's a real creative guy. He used to write poems every Christmas for for people, and he always had a creative bent. But when he retired, um, he went and he uh, got a degree from the Culinary Institute of America. He uh, became a sculptor. He, um, he He's a wonderful artist, and that is what sustains him today. He was off in Wyoming for two weeks over the summer um, taking uh, photographs in the Tetons. Yeah, I, I say that because, you know, I, I think it took him a while to fully embrace and realize his passion. Um, but the fact that at 73, you know, that he still is learning, he is still taking classes. Um, I think it's a long-winded way to say that uh, I, I I love what I do, my career. I'm enjoying, you know, the campaign and, you know, a life of public service could be interesting. But uh, I think continual, continu- continually learning and doing new things to me, that would be awesome. I don't see myself sitting on a porch uh, whittling or, or rocking the day's way. I do for a couple hours a day, a little whittle. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's funny though. You know, j- just on that, you know, I I think I read on uh, on your website that you practice mindfulness. Is that right? I try to. Yeah, especially uh, down there at Blakely Harbor. Yeah, I will spend a lot of time just working on breathing, yep. trying to clear my mind, and it, uh, I've been doing intermittent fasting as well. Yeah, and it's just giving my internal organs some rest for fourteen hours, five days a week, and the mindfulness is trying to wrap my brain around you know what's going on um and it all started when my when my father passed last last year trying to come to some some peaceful place and we do yoga as a family once in a while i do it here and there and uh mindfulness is is super important to me that that's awesome you know i after uh 
I had a I was running a, a cybersecurity company up until uh, 2016, and you know I had a departure with the board there, and you know I. A departure. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. I'll, Nobody I'll, uses that phrase. Yeah, you know, it, but it but it's interesting though because I put a lot of um, uh, blood, sweat, and tears into that job, and and the company is doing great now. And the you know the individual that I, I groomed to take over, I mean, she's just rocking it. But I left the position, and you know, I've left positions before, but never, never had. I felt like something was unfinished, and and that it bothered me, and. You know, I, I think Christina was kind of blown away at how it was eating away at me. So um, I actually I found Headspace, which is a, a great app, um, which teaches you mindfulness. And never in a million years would I myself have ever thought that I, I could do something like this. And I, you know, there there are some some days where I miss my you know uh, my mindfulness med- meditation. But miss you, marks. Yeah, those days that I do five ten minutes in the morning, or just even three minutes in the middle of the afternoon, I. It's it's helped immensely, and you know it's for whatever it's worth out there to whoever is listening. It's uh, whatever you find to kind of have that type of you know that peacefulness and mindfulness. Whatever you do, just embrace it. I wish I lived up to my own words more often. Yeah, we all are works in progress, and we have grand grand plans. Uh, you know, meditation is where it started with me, and I, was, I couldn't really get into it, so I wanted to, for lack of a better term, dumb it down to my abilities. And that was just concentrating on my breathing, go toe to head, just, I can't feel my toes. My ankles are loose. My knees are letting my lower legs dangle. I feel in my upper thighs. Have another breath. Stomach's released. Shoulders, wiggle them. It's all leaving. And then just sit. And pause. Absolutely. Bam, we're back. Yeah. Let's do another fast five. Let's do it. If you were one wild animal, what would it be? A puma. Puma. I'm a gazelle because I'm slow. They called <laughs> me the flash because I'm slow. I always see a gazelle. just doesn't seem like the feet even touch the ground. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like, I like those big cats. Um, favorite president? Ooh, that's a tough one. I know this is supposed to be fast. Sorry, you know I. I That's I, all right. So you're still on. Yeah, dial up. Yeah, <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. Nice. Um, you probably don't eat too many candy bars now, but what was your go-to candy bar as a kid or Kit young Kat. adult? Kit Kat. Hands down. Nice. Where do you get coffee on the island? What's your favorite shop? <sighs> Two places. So, uh, the Coquette Bakery in the uh, um, downtown. I love the that. Beautiful little stand where they do some of the nicest bread and bagels. They they have Stumptown coffee right there, and it's just regular drip coffee. I'm a drip coffee guy, black coffee. Me too. Um, black and bitter like my heart. Yeah, there we go. They they do it wonderfully. But you know what? Um, my absolute favorite was at Hitchcock Deli when they used to do the French press. But you know, my uh, my boy Brendan and, and those guys, they don't do it anymore. But they still make a, a mean cortado or whatever you want them to whip up. They're lovely people. Yeah, it's a it's a great machine. Shout out to Fiore out there. Um, we miss you, Kale. You were the coffee genius oh, of the island. Kale rocked. I love the names kids get out here too. Kale ran into a kid named Trout. <laughs> yeah, um, Kale's a talented musician. I'm not sure if you ever caught him uh, um, in his band. I mean, he he was he's impressive. I hope he's doing well. Kale, shout out to you. Make me some music. <laughs> um, yeah, that's Hitchcock's got great coffee. That's a great machine out there. It and, is. And Brendan is just blowing up uh, and well deserved. He makes quality food, quality coffee. 
He sources stuff locally. You know, shout out to him. Yeah, for sure. When you go for a walk, I know you're in the South End and um, I'm central here. Where's your favorite walking path? So I've got two. So we live in uh, the Blakely uh, Harbor neighborhood. We're off of uh, Barkentine. Uh, we've got a great series of trails behind there, the Bluff Trail. Uh, and it's literally right behind the house. So I'll take the dog or go for a run uh, on those connecting trails down to Fort Ward, which is awesome. Um, and I hate to plug the campaign, but next uh, next Saturday we're doing – I try to do meet and greets with voters every week. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. Plug, plug away. Yeah, tell no, me, no. Tell but, me your websites. Tell, oh, yeah, I'll do that. What's in a, on the calendar. I'll do that in a second. But, you know, we I try to do these meet and greets. And, you know, given the type of island we are, the most successful ones are um, anytime there's booze involved. Right. I see uh, a lot going on at the BI Brew. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what? Next Saturday, though, we're going to go to Gasm Lake and we're going to do a hike to Close Beach. And, you know, if voters want to come along and kind of learn a little bit more about me – uh, get some exercise in the process. That is probably my my favorite. That little hike down to Close Beach from Gasm um, parking lot. Uh, it is it is it is great. If I'm not swimming at Blakely Harbor, I'll bring my trunks down there and, and dive into uh, and dive into the water there. Damn, I yeah. never dive into the water at Lake Gasm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not late. No, not Lake Gasm. So Close Beach, you walk past Gasm and you go down to the uh, to the ocean to the ah, water. Gotcha. Definitely not diving in Gasm. Yeah, you caught up in there. The yeah. mosquitoes are thick out there. They I, they are thick. Being a New England boy, I have some mad respect for the uh, the mosquitoes down there. Yeah. Do you have a where you grew up? Was there lightning bugs out there? There were. Yeah. 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 I was. I spent some time in Kentucky when my kid was just an infant, and we used to put him and the dog out in the front yard. And it's my fondest memory of all time is seeing him. Uh, chase those lightning bugs, you know, and get one in his hand, and then he'd open up his hand and. Bug would glow and smile would appear. Is yeah, I Pretty remember magical. it like yesterday. Okay, before I tear up, <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me what's uh, going down the pipe with you in the near near future. Yeah, I mean we are. Let's see, we are fourteen. No, less than that. We're twelve days away from uh, ballots dropping. So we're a get mail, out and vote. We're a mail in ballot state. If you are not registered to vote. Get out there, register to vote by October 12th, I believe. Mail it in. Mail it in. Um, you know, just a, a PSA for all the candidates out there. We're all reiterating this no matter where you live on Bainbridge Island, North Ward, Central, or South, you vote for all three city council races. It's an island wide vote. So that's really important to, uh, to mention to folks. We don't want any, again, no matter who you vote for, just participate. Don't leave a ballot blank. Um, yeah, so we've got a lot of events coming up. Um, my website, www.tiermanforbainbridge.com, has a list of all of our events. Very active on social media. Um, we've got a great candidate page where we keep uh, up to date on events, policy positions. Uh, even got an Instagram page out there too. If you uh, if you guys want to check that out, um, but it's really all about getting out and meeting meeting voters now. So we're doing sign waving. We're going to be doing doorbelling. My goal is to hit more than a thousand doors on the island by the end. So anyone wishes to volunteer or help out, would love to uh, love to have them do so. What's the very n- next event? The uh, next two events that you have coming up. Right. So I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we've got uh, the League of Women Voters uh, candidate forum on Monday, October 9th at 6.30 at the city council chambers. That's a that's a big one. All the uh, candidates will be there. It's uh, going to be pretty substantive in terms of the issues. Um, after that, uh, you know, for me personally, we've got a, a couple of house parties coming up. And then Saturday, October... Kid and play coming? Kid and play will be there. Yeah. Yeah. Kid and play will be there. Absolutely. Sir, Mix- Sir Mix-a-Lot, maybe. We're going to... 
Define your house party. What is, what's going on at a house party? Well, yeah, so a house party is when a, uh, a supporter um, you know, generously opens up their house and invites their friends, um, your supporters, and other uh, maybe undecided voters to come and, and meet the candidate. And that's, what it, that's really what it's all about. It's just trying wow, to- You're letting everybody know where you live, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm not that's doing some it- some transparency. I'm right not there. doing it at my house. These are at supporters' homes. Yeah. Airbnb homes. That, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, and then on October 14th, we have the um, uh, meet and greet, and we're going to go on a hike around Gasm Lake. So all these events can be found on the website, Facebook page, and uh, you know people can reach out to me directly on uh, through either of those venues too. Awesome. Um, I think it's time to wrap this up. Do you have any shout outs or anything else you want to hit before we we go here? Yeah, sure. I mean, just a you know just a shout out to the uh, uh, to the island and uh, and my fellow candidates. Uh, it's you know it's coming down to crunch time now. It has been never having run for office before. Uh, it has been. It's been awesome. I mean, it ha- it's been stressful. I'll, I'll give you that, but uh, I would not, I would not change it for the world. I've I've enjoyed meeting so many different people here on the island, learning, um, you know, drinking through a, a you know a fire hose in terms of information. It's been intellectually and um, civically, it's been amazing. And then you know, I I couldn't be doing any of this without you know the support of um, my wife Christina, who. You know, she said, I, "I better stop, you know, talking and complaining and, and do something." And uh, I, I don't think we all realized it would be this. And you know, we were very busy people with four kids. You know, she volunteers actively with the, uh, you know, the scouts and uh, emergency management here on the island. So I mean, I, I really, you know, for her to allow me to do this is uh, is huge. And then you know, Felix, Molly, Oscar, Sebastian, my four kids too. You know, again, to allow uh, their dad to uh, to use up more of his time, not to hang out with them to do this. It's I've got a pretty special family, and I'm fortunate. So thank you to all of them, and and thanks to you, Tim, for doing what you're doing. I think we need we need more of this on the island. Awesome. I want to give a shout out to that's some pizza. Go get some right now. If your car is damaged, just like mine was yesterday at Wells Fargo, lady backed into my car with her big white Dodge Ram truck. Please visit Blue Canary for all your auto needs. Thank goodness I had insurance. Tom Sawyer, Eagle Harbor Insurance, conveniently located down there in the Parfit building off Winslow. Matt Terman, I wish you all the best. Thanks for coming in today to the BI Bystander podcast. Thanks, buddy.